0: Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com and follow the link to subscribe. And now enjoy our latest episode.
1: Our vision is to use research to really build an evidence base to understand what harmful reporting on community firearm violence looks like and what helpful reporting looks like, and then to really have some evidence-based guidelines that can help form journalists when they're doing this work.
0: Many journalists will tell you that covering gun-related violence is essential to the work of a community reporter. Too often are we just regurgitating what the police tell us and ignoring the victim's story? I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Dr. Jessica Beard is director of research for the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting. She's also a trauma surgeon at Temple University Hospital and was the lead author of the center's report, Like I'm a Nobody, Firearm Injured People's Perspectives on News Media Reporting About Firearm Violence. Dr. Beard, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So usually I'm talking to a journalist. And I'll ask them how they got into jur- journalism, but you're a doctor. So I'm just going to sort of leave it wide open. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, uh, what led you to uh, Temple University and the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting?
1: Sure. So I am a doctor. I'm trained in general surgery. I did that training at the University of California, San Francisco. I have a master's in public health from UC Berkeley and I completed a fellowship in trauma surgery and surgical critical care here in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Where'd you grow up? Houston.
1: And so that's sort of my training between being a doctor and then becoming a trauma surgeon. And now I work at Temple University Hospital, which is in North Philadelphia. I've been here for about six years now. And a huge part of my work as a trauma surgeon in North Philadelphia is caring for firearm injured people. And that's really my everyday and my clinical practice. And that's how I became interested and passionate about gun violence prevention um, because it really impacts uh, my patients on a day to day basis.
0: And we're here today not to talk necessarily about gun violence and maybe in the abstract, but more the way gun violence is being portrayed, you know, in the media and what effect that has on some of the patients that you've, you've treated and the patients that show up at trauma centers all over the country. So how did you get involved with the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence reporting?
1: So there were a couple kind of ways that I became interested in the media narrative around gun violence in Philadelphia specifically. The first is related to my own desire to understand the high disease burden of firearm violence that's impacting the city that I live in. Because I take care of so many firearm injured people, when I first came to Philadelphia, I actually went to the news to try to understand maybe some specific things about my patients that I don't get to meet because they pass away sometimes before I get to meet them and also around sort of the circumstances of the why for this incredible disease burden of gun violence that we have in the city. And instead of kind of deep contextual reporting, what I found largely in media reporting about firearm violence is what I later learned are these episodic crime reports. So, you know, short narratives with law enforcement narrators that are very short on context. So, you know, a standard one would be 25 year old man is shot on the corner of Broad and Tioga. He was transported to Temple University Hospital where he's in critical condition. The police have no motives and there have been no arrests. And, you know, I thought, wow, if that is what the public is understanding about gun violence and the sort of human part the human toll the root causes which are you know related to deeply entrenched structural and social determinants of health and racism frankly they really aren't getting a complete understanding of what gun violence is all about that you know coupled with the fact that the impact of media narratives around firearm violence on firearm injured people are you know on a day-to-day basis really important and it comes up in the care of firearm injured people so you know i can give you a few examples one would be a case of um, a person who was shot and was in our ICU, and the person's mother heard on the news that they had died, which was inaccurate, and that caused such an incredible amount of grief and you know panic on the part of of the person's mother that they called into the hospital and you know needed to get an update, and we had to do sort of a lot of you know picking up the pieces after something a big shock like that that was inaccurate. I hear from patients. I wish I wouldn't have made the news. I wish I wouldn't have been exposed that way. And those sort of kind of personal experiences, you know, both on, you know, my kind of disappointment with media narratives and sort of how limited they are in terms of context and really the limited solutions that are presented, plus the impact that I was seeing anecdotally on patients and families led me to this interest, led me to um, build a partnership with Jim McMillan, who's the director of the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting. And because of my kind of research and public health background, I kind of contributed that aspect to the center where I'm now the director of research. And that inspired our first study, which is an interview study with our patients about the impact of media reporting on their own injuries. So,
0: you know, I had a chance to read the report. It's really eye-opening, and there'll be a link to this on our website. And I encourage reporters who routinely cover crime to read it for a lot of different reasons, but mainly I think some of the things you you touched on is the personal narrative, the the perspective of the victim, the crime reporting that you just reported. I'm going to probably write something like that later today, unfortunately. And you know, what ends up happening is it becomes sort of a, you know, gun violence then becomes sort of a statistic thing. Once you divorce it from the individual, the individual stories and the circumstances, it becomes something different. And it just becomes more information in, you know, the ongoing larger conversation about gun violence in the country. So tell me, how did uh, you go about the study? Who was involved in it? How was it structured?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm a trauma surgeon and I work at the hospital that treats the largest number of fire injured people in the state of Pennsylvania. So, you know, my day to day is interacting with fire injured people and talking to them and caring for them. And so the way that we kind of interacted with our study participants was going to the trauma clinic, inviting them to participate. We interviewed people, fire injured people within. Several months of their injuries, and we ask them questions about reporting on their own injuries and about gun violence in their communities. This is called qualitative research. It's actually a lot like journalism. You know, there's some rigor to it, you know, in terms of how you analyze and look for themes. But basically, we interviewed 26 people and then tape recorded those interviews, transcribed them, and then used some qualitative analysis methods to identify themes that came out. And really, what we found was a preponderance of harms of current media narratives from the perspectives of fire injured people. So, people whose stories made the news reported that they felt dehumanized. And they connected that dehumanization to those episodic narratives, like I described. They reported reliving trauma when viewing reports, and sometimes even just when viewing the news in general, because there's so much graphic imagery on news. There was a lot of distress related to inaccuracies, right? So even the number of gunshot wounds, if that's inaccurate from the perspective of the fire injured person, that can cause a lot of problems. You know, like, for example, one person in our study said that in the report on him, he was described as riddled with bullets. And there's a huge stigma around that, right? What he said that that meant to people who were listening to it was that he somehow was guilty or that he somehow was targeted when in fact he was inside his house sleeping when he was shot. There were incredible threats to personal safety, these perceived threats to personal safety, especially when the treating hospital was mentioned. So as in my narrative that I gave you, the name of our hospital is is stated. And people felt that, you know, that naming the location where they were being treated caused them threat to their personal safety. Related to that is harm to reputation. So even just, you know, the stigma of being reported without context Participants in our study said that their family members would call them and say, well, what were you getting into that got you shot? Because there's such an incredible stigma of being shot. And then if you're reported in a way that doesn't explain the context for your shooting, that really just can cause a lot of harm to your reputation. I can read you a quotation that I think really describes that well. So one patient said, it's like the first thing, thing people think when you get shot. It's like people think you did something, but people don't even understand. I literally was going to see my daughter and I was going to the dentist. Instead of saying man shot in North Philly, say innocent man shot in North Philly, because I don't like people just looking at me or looking at my situation and just painting a picture. Now, there's a lot of complexity there, right? Because, you know... We do see reports where the word "innocent" is used. It's about certain types of victims, not necessarily the man who shot in North Philly. And you know whether or not that that's the right response—that it should say "innocent." You know, not that anyone deserves to be shot or that we know the circumstances of every shooting. But I think it points out how that episodic crime report carries a stigma with it.
0: Yeah, you know, having been in a, in a number of newsrooms where you know crime reporting is part of what we we did sort of our approach to it has sort of always been to be as neutral as you can, which, again, is sort of problematic for the discussion that we're having. I would never write a story. I don't, quote, unquote, I wouldn't be allowed to write a story where I identified someone as innocent, especially if there's a criminal investigation in it somehow. In those instances, what you do is you pare it down for the news organization. There's also a legal aspect of it, depending on how you portray certain things. And again, if there's a criminal investigation involved, you know, how you describe the instance and making sure that you're sourcing everything that, that you're saying the police said this or whatever. But of course, what's missing is from this narrative is the victim who's been shot. And that requires some work. There may not be a lot of willingness from family members or the, the victim or an opportunity. I'm not trying to defend what journalists do. I'm just kind of sort of laying out the circumstances from a journalist's perspective.
1: So I think it's really interesting that you said that you try to be as neutral as possible. Right. I mean, by definition, relying on police, law enforcement sources when you're talking about black people in North Philadelphia is not neutral. Right. It's not. I mean, this is this is racialized and there's terrible racist history when it comes to action news, specifically in Philadelphia, and when it comes to, you know, why this whole system of crime reporting exists. So I guess I would just say, like, there's no way that a law enforcement source about a fireman person is a neutral stance. That's number one. And, you know, number two, it, like the real heavy reliance on law enforcement to tell these narratives is really problematic because, their reports are inaccurate, right? We've seen that actually with the most recent, very horrific mass shooting that we had here in Philadelphia, when in fact one of the victims was reported as being shot in the mass shooting, but he was actually shot days before by the same shooter in the same location. So, there's a lot of problematic inaccuracies that come from just relying on a single source and just relying on law enforcement as the source. So a lot of what we're doing at the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting is trying to help journalists understand and build skills and develop relationships with other, you know, potential narrators. And two members of our team are people with lived experience of firearm violence, who one of whom themselves has been shot. And, you know. We do hear that when you go to the scene of the crime, the people who are talking are police, right? Not necessarily community members. So one of our goals is to actually help journalists to really build relationships with, you know, folks from community. So those perspectives can be represented. And I would say in a perfect world, you know, there is very little value, news value, in my opinion, to an episodic crime narrative, right? Right. It's the way that crime reporting has been structured. You go to the scene, you interview police, that's who's talking. But like, the truth is, is that what is that for exactly? It's harming the people for whom the story is about. It's harming their families. It's resulting in negative portrayal of people in places that is frankly you know, racist and perpetuating systemic inequity. And so what are the alternatives and how could we tell this story better? And that's kind of what our work is focused
0: on. What are you doing to to help journalists find these other sources?
1: We've done quite a few things. We have several kind of buckets that our work falls into. So one of them is our work with community reporters. It's called the Credible Messengers Reporting Project. And basically what this does is it pairs journalists with professional experience, with people with lived experience who want to tell their stories to create news basically to create media. So I participated in that program with one of my patients and his mother, and we created a documentary that was basically the story of my patient shooting from the perspective of his mother. And he also participated. That's kind of one of our avenues is to kind of introduce and center the perspectives of fire-injured people and their loved ones in the creation, in this in storytelling. We have had several kind of national and local gatherings. Most recently, we had a workshop back in the fall of 2022 that brought together firearm-injured people, co-victims, scholars in this area, and our local journalists from really newspaper, TV, radio, and then also community journalists into conversation around better gun violence reporting. We used human-centered design to really try to together come up with some solutions. And one of the things that came out of the workshop was the need for journalists to have more training and expertise in being trauma-informed and also in understanding and, and working to present gun violence as preventable. So we've been calling that training in gun violence prevention journalism. We're working on a curriculum for that. And that's something that we hope to kind of roll out locally, and then hopefully nationally in the next year or so.
0: So did you get a sense from the 26 people that you interviewed that most or many or just a few would have been willing at some point to speak to the press?
1: That's a great question. And I'll start by saying just a couple more things about the reports for these particular people who were in our study. So about half of people didn't see any media reports on their shooting, and that goes with our previous research. It looks like in Philadelphia and other cities that about half of shootings don't make the news at all. And certainly most of these shootings are only really making local news. So that's kind of one important point and we know actually specifically from our other research that certain types of shootings are overrepresented in the news compared to like how they actually occur so obviously mass shootings traditionally defined mass shootings only make up about 1% of all shootings but of course we see them constantly on national news. Shootings of women and children and fatal shootings are also overrepresented. So 80% of people who get shot in Philadelphia survive their shooting. And that's the people that we're talking to, the survivors. But if you watch TV news, you'd think most people died when they got shot. So that's just sort of like this tension between like what the real true epidemiology or disease burden of gun violence is versus what how it's portrayed in the media. So half of people didn't make the news not a single person that we interviewed was approached by a journalist to tell their story. So there were people whose even actually the videos of their shootings were on news. You know, they saw themselves get shot on TV news or sometimes on Instagram, where they're usually TV news clips on these Instagram pages. And quite a few people said they would be willing to talk to journalists. The problem is, is that the way that sort of reporting on crime and gun violence is, is that the journalists go to the scene of, of the crime because it's salacious. It's, you know, violent. It's conflict oriented. Right. And gory. If it bleeds, it leads. Right. And there's very little follow up stories. And when you're trauma informed, you know that people don't want to talk right when they've been shot. Right. A lot these people were in the hospital getting surgery, you know, recovering from their injuries, dealing with their emotional trauma. We know from our credible messengers project that storytelling can be healing. Like I experienced that personally with my patient and his mother. And so the time to tell these stories, to tell these human stories, isn't at the shooting scene. It's later. And so I think that again, points to like, if we are survivor focused, if we're trauma informed, the whole structure of reporting on firearm violence has to change, right? It can't be reporting from the crime scene. It has to be telling human stories, you know, that center the perspectives of community and of survivors and of co-victims.
0: Amen to that. So what would you say to a newsroom who may not be in Philadelphia, but hear what you're saying and have already done, you know, tried to take steps to, you know, take maybe the racial, racial aspect of this type of reporting, you know, for example, not running mugshots, just as an example, you know, what would you say to a newsroom like that? What should they do next?
1: first of all, there is lots of great reporting on community firearm violence. So I I don't want to say that it's all bad. And we've seen actually lots of changes and lots of engagement in our work locally in Philadelphia. So, you know, there are organizations that are reporting specifically on fire and violence in a deep contextual way, like The Trace, for example. Our local public radio, WHYY in Philadelphia, has two gun violence prevention journalists, prevention reporters, and whose beat is actually gun violence prevention. So I think there's a lot of different ways to approach this. And I guess what I would say is what our research is showing us is what is harmful. So like, we know that these episodic crime reports that don't include community or victim perspectives are causing harm. And I would say to a news organization, I would ask what is the value of these reports? And if you are going to report on something because it's high profile, commit to do a follow-up report at the scene of a crime, you know, and you're reporting follow up with the family or ask the family who can speak about the victim, you know, in a way to humanize them. So follow-up reports, I think different sources, right. Committing to talking to people like me. There's a lot of people who know about gun violence prevention, who know what policies prevent gun violence, who know what the root causes are offering resources is another thing that we talk about a lot. So every time that you see a report about suicide, First of all, you'll get, you know, a warning that, you know, it could be be traumatizing to listen to the report and then you'll actually get resources at the end. That's something that could be also available for reporting on firearm violence. So these are just some ideas that, you know, we're working through and we are working together with community and with journalists to reimagine how gun violence reporting can be practically better.
0: I've covered a few suicides, uh, teen suicides, and the completely in the other direction. The teen mental health crisis that's going on right now following COVID, that generally is not being covered, but occasionally, you will you know, family will reach out to you and they'll talk about their child and their experience. And when we write a story like that, more often than not, you know, the school system will, will um, contact us and said that it was, you know, it's irresponsible. You're not, you know, we can't have students seeing that narrative. But then it's because, well, then how to cover that thing? And and certainly when we write something like that, we would include, you know, mental health support, suicide prevention resources with it.
1: Yeah, I think the suicide example is actually one that we've been looking to in terms of our theory of change and how we think research fits into this. So, you know, several decades ago, suicide was reported quite similarly to how gun violence is reported now. And because of research, I mean, there are literally hundreds of studies that have shown what harmful reporting on suicide is, what constitutes it, and also what helpful reporting or protective reporting on suicide is. To the point that the World Health Organization has recommendations for journalists who are reporting on suicide, you know and so our vision is to use research to really build an evidence base to understand what harmful reporting on community firearm violence looks like and what helpful reporting looks like and then to really have some evidence-based guidelines that can help you know inform journalists when they're doing this work
0: okay so you've published a re- report have you gotten much feedback on it and what has it been
1: Yeah, I mean, so even before we published this report, we shared it with our local journalists, we presented it to several TV news stations, we presented it at the workshop that I mentioned, we've presented it in academic settings, and we've presented it to our community partners. And I think, you know, From our community partners, we've heard, yes, all of this makes sense. These are the things that we've been saying, you know, and we hear these themes reiterated over and over again in terms of the harms of, you know, media narratives on gun violence. From our journalism colleagues, I think there's been a lot of interest, and I think you know, in terms of like, you know, maybe any negative feedback that we've heard, it's sort of related to the practicalities of better gun violence reporting, like how do we actually do this better? And then balancing the perspectives of injured people and their families versus sort of this idea that somehow reporting on gun violence is serving society in some way, or it's serving an agenda of public safety. So those are conversations that we tend to get to into as well with journalists to read our work and we share it with.
0: Did you talk at all to the people who participated about the larger narrative that's obviously that news media has a role in, but it's also, you know, a political narrative of, as well?
1: We did. And I can read you a quotation that I think really is very insightful when it comes to that as well. One participant in our study said, you report the gun violence, but why not do a follow-up report for the victims, the survivors, the families that had to bury these people, the whole process." Just don't do a guy got shot over there, a guy got shot over here. You're making people more fearful. You're more fearful. You're going to arm yourself more. So I think, you know, obviously we were focused on sort of the personal harms of reporting on your own injury in a way that excludes your narrative. And that's really what came up. But we had several participants really highlight the potential impacts of what he's describing, right, episodic crime reporting on the incidence of firearm violence itself. And that's something that's yet to be explored. It is an important research agenda for us. In 2021, which is when the study was done, was really a huge, just terrible peak for firearm violence in our city, and also a peak for gun purchasing. And there was obviously all the fear with COVID and, you know, just kind of destabilization of our society in general. And I think what this person is is saying is really connecting fear to episodic crime reporting to gun purchasing, to community fire and violence incidents. And I think that that can't be ignored. You know, we hear this all the time from people in community that these types of reports are, leading to community fire and violence more generally. And then specifically other things that we heard from people in our study is that like posting videos of shootings glorifies the shooters, you know? So I think journalists sometimes thinking when they post these videos that like somehow it's gonna help the shooter get caught. We know that the clearance rate for shootings is very, very low, especially for non-fatal shootings in Philadelphia. So that's not really the best argument. And then what we hear from the victims is like, These people who shot me can watch this video whenever they want. You know, it's glorifying this violence that they committed towards me and it's traumatizing me.
0: What is next for the center? I mean, are you going to do another sort of follow-up report or, you know, I think you sort of touched on the idea of, you know, bringing this information out to the masses as it were.
1: Yeah. So the current research project that we're working on is a TV news content analysis so we have 7000 clips that we collected which was very labor intensive from local tv news in philadelphia off all, all four of our english stations at three time points so like the 6 a 6 p and 11 p for the entire year of 2021 and we've been coding those clips and you know what we're basically asking is you know how often is gun violence presented as a public health problem Which is basically never, right? Like, even the word prevention, I think, was only used in one of the clips that we coded. And then, how are the sort of victims and and communities impacted portrayed? And how often are we seeing these harmful elements that our patients identified in TV news? So, that's kind of our ongoing research project. And as I mentioned before, you know, our goals going forward with the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting are to use this research to really inform conversations with our journalist partners and then also to support journalists to do better gun violence reporting through trainings, through you know, networking with community members. The training that we actually envision coming up in the fall is going to be training both for journalists, but also for people with lived experience in media literacy and even some co trainings. And because, you know, right now, what you see is journalists having strong relationships with law enforcement. That's why they're able to get these, you know, narratives and tell these stories about shootings. But what journalists need to tell these deeper stories is strong relationships with community, you know, deep understanding of, you know, the root and structural causes of gun violence. And we're building those relationships with our network.
0: It sounds like great work. And I think some of the things you described, I think should give a lot of journalists pause and consider how they cover crime and how they cover violent crime. And certainly the, the issue of gun violence in their communities. Dr. Beard, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Bilefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.